Good morning and welcome to the Designers Institute podcast series. My name is Andy Flukowski, so I'm one of the spatial representatives on the board and also the president, and I'm also a partner at RCG and head the commercial interiors division. So this morning we are joined by Tony Branso, co-founder and director of Material Creative. She is a multiple gold pin winner and also a finalist at the World Festival of Interiors. Tony is also an avid artist and a ceramicist. I hope I can call you that, Tony. So <laughs> go and follow her Instagram. And also joining Tony this morning, we have Abby Ross, who is the marketing manager from Harrow's. So one of New Zealand's leading furniture design and manufacturers. You've most likely leant on, sat on, or admired one of their pieces at your local cafe, airport, university. And Abby is also an avid basketball fan and is also the president of the South Canterbury Basketball Association. You're very busy, aren't you, Abby? So welcome, Tony and Abby. Great to, to have you on the line this morning. Hi. Thanks, Andy. So, Tony, I know you're up in Auckland. Abby, you're tuning in from Timaru this morning. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We're based in Timaru. Um, I live just outside of Timaru in a nice small town called Tamuka. So it's lovely and quiet. Tamuka's actually got a great tea shop. We used to stop there all the time, if that's still there. It actually has a massive teapot on, co- on top of the cafe, if that's still there. Is it still there? Well, I don't think the teapot's still on top, but it's called the teapot in. We used to, we used to stop there all the way on our time down to Wanaka, because I grew up in Christchurch. So it was quite a cool little, cool little space to stop. Hey, um, I'm, I'm assuming you both have been working from home last couple of weeks as well? Yeah, yep. We... Um... We've been working from home since, um, I think we started about half a week before lockdown actually started. We kind of thought it was going to happen, so we got prepared and, and started, so there wasn't so much of a, you know, hecticness to moving to home. Because mm-hmm. it really did come on quite quickly. I think they gave us, what, two days notice before the full lockdown came into effect, so... I mean, good on you for, for foreseeing that, Tony. And I think, how's that balance been with everyone working from, from home? I'm assuming some have had their fair share of challenges with potentially kids and whatnot, or? Yeah, look, it certainly hasn't um, always gone to plan. I think they they sort of say you need to set yourself a designated area and designated work hours, and my two-year-old certainly doesn't respect that. So it's about being able to adapt and take advantage of the sunny days and get the work done on the cloudy ones. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What about you and your team, Tony? Has everything gone relatively smoothly or? Yeah, we, um, we'd started implementing whips at 9.45 every day around the kitchen table at the office. So naturally, we do that via Zoom now. So it's been, we were just talking about it on our 9.45 this morning, actually, how it's been an actual, you know, it's been a sense of normality for us to keep doing that and have a chicken and you know, Mondays are always a longer check-in and yeah, it's been, I think it's been really good for us all to stay connected in that way and feel a little bit normal. Mm. Like that's something I've experienced is I guess technology has, I mean, really assisted us during this this period, obviously having that connection with the staff members every day and clients, but I think conversely, it's actually been a major hurdle for us. I mean, half our office is kind of admin or has um, kind of significant property components and they, they can work remotely very easily. But for our architectural team in particular, you know, we're using, you know, quite heavy hardware and software and enabling people to, to use the, the software from home has been a little bit of a challenge. So it, it's interesting to see, I guess, how we are adapting and, and, and using that. But there's, there's definitely some positives to take forward from it, <clears throat> which has been really good. Yeah, totally. 
I think for us, obviously, we're manufacturing. We have a large percentage of staff that can't work from home. And it's been really, we have a, a Zoom call once a week with all of our staff. And we have between sort of, on a, on a good day, they're all there and 30 to 35 people on a Zoom chat. Wow. And while it's not the sort of functional <laughs> chat, it's it's great to keep in touch and it's great to keep them involved, you know, and, and to see those who can work from home are and those that couldn't, they, they're back in the factory now, which we're grateful for. But, um, you know, those that couldn't can stay connected and in touch with what we're doing. So it, it's been with challenges, but those sorts of things are, are, are pretty cool to come out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, something that I found probably quite hard to tackle early on, not necessarily hard, but probably um, more interesting. I think many companies, there's this notion of, I guess what I can probably call presenteeism, you know, so employees are only viewed as productive and hardworking if they're actually in the office, you know, conversely suggesting that if you're not actually physically in the office, then you're not committed. Um, so, I mean, I think there's always been this danger with companies of bringing in like flexible working policies, but probably fail to change like the cultural norms around, you know, starting early and finishing late, you know, means you're hardworking. So, I mean, I'd be apprehensive about working away from the office if it was going to be viewed negatively. But I think the challenge of this period probably for all of us has been to, to place a lot of trust in staff to, you know, get what they need to get achieved with the realities that they are working from home and in their own environment, which, you know, has its own challenges as well. So, I mean... Tony, like you and your staff, is that something you're experiencing through this time? Just putting, I guess, trust in everyone to, to get what they need to get done and you know at their own pace? Or Yeah, I think that um, it was quite a nerve-wracking thing, I think, going to working from home because of those issues. But we have such an incredible team who all are so into kind of what they're doing that everybody has just kind of stepped up to the challenge and I think it's been for Liv and I, especially it's been it's been a great exercise, I think, to figure out that everyone is, you know, a hundred percent okay with working from home and you know, I, I feel like I've actually been more productive working from home than I get done at the office. So Tony, yeah. you are more than welcome to have my kids come over to your house if you want. That would be um <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what does Jacinda say? We're all in this together. So, you know, we really should be sharing the load around, I think. That's only natural. Yeah. yeah. I there think we go, an offer of a babysitter that, right there. <laughs> something Tony said that she's more productive. And I guess is that work should be purposeful and practical. And do we work sort of eight because there's that many hours of work to be done? Or are we better? I've found it active to break my work time into projects. And when I'm motivated on, on this task and this project, that's got momentum it can really get going and if if it's five five o'clock and I need to pick my son up from daycare I can't keep going but I have that flexibility at home now so that I can 100% I've found that every day I'm going for a walk kind of at 7am to 8am and then I kind of do a bit of emailing at 8.30 you know which is our usual work start time but then you know tap out for lunch which I never used to do and then I go for a walk at four now which I find you know with the hours that I'm doing and doing that extra bit of exercise is way more pr productive for me. Do you feel quite free with that kind of timetable though Tony? Like this, this is something I've um, probably embraced a little bit more is because everybody is working from home and on different schedules I'm not I'm not feeling as much of a need to be kind of hyper-connected you, yes. If you know what I mean, like, like I can know that after dinner I can go and, you know, tidy up a few emails because I've got my work computer at home and there's a little bit less pressure throughout the day to be 
I guess, focusing on that screen time, which has actually been a breath of fresh air, if I'm completely honest. <laughs> Oh, I just had a, a moment. Um, I think it's managing expectations both ways. So as managers, you're learning to, to build that trust in your team and everyone wants to be there. And I think I had a different dynamic as an employee. I was doing my neighbor's groceries and I missed a call from my boss because I wasn't at my desk and it's 11 a.m. and now I should be. And I, and I, I rushed home and I rang him back and he didn't answer his call because he was out walking, you know, and in <laughs> And I realized, hey, this is okay. And and it's yeah. you know, leading by example and, and it's okay to that it works both ways. So that was a really nice moment for me and I felt a lot more comfortable after that. Absolutely. And I think that's it's some of these learnings that I'm really interested to, to see what we're actually going to take forward from this. I think there's been so much commentary, not just in the media, but also on, I guess, platforms like LinkedIn and such, where people are really looking into the crystal ball and saying, what is our our nine to five going to look like going forward? What's the workplace look like going forward? What are our home environments going to look like going forward? And I think in this time of, you know, hyper-connectivity and this mobility, it's always been making the separation between personal life and work life very challenging, as you have just alluded to, this instant response culture. And even looking at screen time tripling over the last 10 years, you know, where there's this anxiety to always feel really connected to our phones. So what I'm quite interested in is going forward, how might these, I guess, influences actually shape the way we view the, the home or view our workplace Abby, a quick question for you. I've alluded to some, obviously, some behavioural and cultural challenges that kind of surround this, but addressing the opportunity to support this environmentally, it's been well documented that workplaces are becoming more domesticated. There's been a lot more references to, to residential spaces to create that connection between bringing the home into the office. Do you, do you see this evolving somewhat post-COVID-19? While COVID lockdown has been temporary, it was long enough that we really had to get comfortable in the spaces that we were working in and make sure they were spaces that we liked. And we design our homes to bring out the best of us with things like comfort and atmosphere and and task-specific places. That seems really natural. That should be just as important in the workplace. Now, what you like at your home and what I like at my home, they're really different. So it's, it's important someone's cohesively creating a space that's going to be not necessarily generic but adaptable to all those different types but absolutely Mm. we want people to feel comfortable and that physical environment is a great first step it it comes down to culture comes down to policies like like a leaving loud policy dropping the guilt not judging workload based on hours in and uh, more on output but I think there's physical And there's cultural things there that I don't see that slowing down because of physical distancing. Mm. And this is something I'm probably quite interested in because I think on both sides of the scale, you have a group of people that are, I guess, experiencing quite heightened anxiety because of this. And their needs going back into a working environment are going to be very different from the people that are probably a little bit more blasé about, I don't know, social distancing and what they're going back to. And they're really, I guess, longing for a sense of normality about it. So I think how we go back into these working environments is going to have to be really clearly communicated, I guess, by us as business leaders and really setting that tone and culture for everybody else to to, to follow. Anything else to add there, Tony? Yeah, I think that that sense of safety is a really kind of 
big thing that we have to going, you know, coming out of our bubbles and going back into workplaces, especially, you know, for our staff, I, I think it's really important for us to provide that sense of safety and secureness so that they can feel normal, you know, in, in the everyday, you know, business so that they can feel relaxed and go about life just as easily, I guess. Well, not easily, but, you know, as normal as it was in their bubble at home. Are there any spatial changes that, that you'd be considering yourself to your own office, I guess, going forward from this that might I guess, help support the, the, the changing behavioural traits maybe of staff and just making everyone feel a little bit more comfortable within the environment? Or do you think that you've nailed it as is and there's got enough space to support those needs? Or I think Liv and I have been chatting about it a bit that we will, and we were thinking about this before anyway, but about we've got one long pod at the moment that kind of all eight of us sit at and we will probably split that up a bit more we're we're not 100% sure we haven't really talked about it too much got other other things we've had to think about apart from that but um I think that there there is ways that we will adapt when we go back to the office but I think as well like I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately and I heard this interesting term resi Marshall. um Resi Marshall, I like that. <clears throat> yeah, Marshall. So it's been a trend, you know, that workplaces create a more home-like environment because that's where you've spent most of your time. But, you know, now that we've had a massive shift moving more to working from home, you know, it's kind of like we, you know, we're not just creating an office now to feel like a home away from home. We actually can be in our home to work from home. So it's quite a you know, catch 22 that we're trying to make our offices feel like home, but we can actually work from home quite efficiently. So it's quite a mind game. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, and that's something I've probably really got my head around over the last couple of weeks is that, you know, working from home is just working from another location. And I think that's something I definitely want to take forward from this is maybe setting up a bit more of a flexible environment at home because I've actually enjoyed the flexibility of being able to tap into a model or work on some of the marketing components or, you know, fire away some emails that aren't on my phone when I'm sitting in the, on the couch in front of the family. So I was one of those people on the day of or going into level four lockdown that rushed to Kmart, I know, the evil word, at, you know, 10 a.m. in the morning looking for a desk. They had completely been cleaned out. So I actually got a, a $40 trestle camping table and that has been my... <laughs> my workspace for the last six weeks set up in my bedroom. It's actually been relatively flexible and nice to have at home, but it's kind of opened my eyes that I maybe need to actually work in something of a little bit more permanence that probably serves a little bit more practically to enable me to, I guess, have that transition and open up those opportunities to kind of go between home and work. So what about you down there in Tamarillo? Have you got anything set up at home or are you more of a you know, going to work to do work or? I didn't have anything set up at home. Um, I have a little uh, stable table, a little microwave dinner table that I, I take my laptop on on the couch and normally I put the kid to bed and snuggle in the evenings with my, my computer on my lap and, and get to work. But I've actually hijacked half my dining table, lucky enough to obviously have some Harrow's furniture at home. So I've got, I have a nice environment to work in and, and surfaces I want to touch and be around and I, I've actually hopped around from the, the kitchen bench to the couch to the dining table, but this is my permanent home and then I can break out. So I've got my breakout spaces in my home office, which seems a little luxurious. Uh, 
it, yeah, it, it's been challenging. So I need to be, I need to talk talking to you to get some nice home office furniture. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh dear. <laughs> we, we've got to go where the market goes, don't we? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think on that note as well. Conversely, with working, I guess, between the office and home, in some of these spaces, I guess, adapting to suit the workflow. Do you think there's going to be opportunities across, I guess, other kind of facets of the physical environment? So looking at like hospitality, potentially even retail, I guess, of looking at how to support other forms or areas of people working in different environments? Oh, we had um, a bit of a meeting the other day and someone sort of suggested this idea of safety and do you think we'll head back to cubicle-style working? I think I'm confident not um, because I, I am one of those that have had the realisation that I leave my home and go to work every day to be around other people and for that social engagement and interaction, mm. it's something I value really strongly. And that's something I've probably noticed about myself as well during this lockdown period is not necessarily like the social interaction, but just this missed sense of belonging to a wider community. I think even with all these digital tools and connectivity, you know, I've missed the, the simple pleasures of, of being a part of something physically. So going to the you know local Sunday market, sitting at my cafe, reading a newspaper, Some, something I picked up on, it was in a space, it was in a couple of years ago, actually over in, in LA. It was, a, it was a coffee slash wine bar, but it had people working there from 9am in the morning. There was a DJ playing. Everyone was in a really bizarre kind of array of configurations people were sitting down at some couches people were at leaners but I mean I didn't see anybody directly interacting but everyone was there just to be of be a part of something bigger which I thought was which was quite nice and it really got me scratching my head you know are there any types of spaces like that so New Zealand at the moment that could facilitate those types of interactions and maybe that's an opportunity going forward that we do question you know, the, the role of, you know, hospitality and local cafes to, to support, I guess, working environments in a, in, in a different manner. So I think there's some really interesting ideas around that that may evolve out of this, and I think only time will tell. Yeah, I listened to a really interesting presentation a couple of years ago now by Mike Egan, the president of the Restaurant Association for New Zealand, and he spoke a lot about those of spaces and that hospitality at that stage needed to think about embracing technology and think about this startup business that doesn't have an office and doesn't pay rent anywhere and, and comes down to the cafe every every morning and spends three hours there working and using Wi-Fi and that it was a business case that needed to be considered and it was happening internationally and, you know, people are cutting overheads, people are running startups and working from home but didn't want to be at home. Where do they go to work? And it was an to hear him speak about then and, and I think it's certainly applicable for the future. I think it's really interesting because like I guess similarly what I picked up from the other example is that there was absolutely no pressure to consume and I thought that was a really I mean it wasn't even something they stressed but it was a, there was just no pressure from anybody within that space to consume you know and I think that takes a lot of the commercial I guess pressures of it for I guess patrons and they're out of it and then maybe, I don't know, the operators have to look at other ways or I guess revenue comes in different forms within those types of environments. But it'll be a really interesting kind of idea to explore within the market. And I don't know, as you just pointed out as well, it comes down to overheads and looking at other other avenues to make it work. And it might not work in, you know, central Auckland, but potentially fringe suburbs where there are older buildings that you can foster, a, you know, a strong sense of community and you are creating an environment for people to, to drop in and spend a bit more time. 
So, Abby, in terms of these flexible spaces that do facilitate, I guess, longer dwell times, do you think, I guess, thinking about furniture, are we are we likely to have a wider variety or more flexible arrangements going forward that does allow, I guess, operators to, I guess, curate these environments that might change during the course of a day? Oh, look, I think there's two things at play there. One is availability. So if it's not New Zealand-made going forward in the short-term future, it might be a little bit difficult. But the other is that there are so many New Zealand-made manufacturers, importers and all of that that are waiting to see what the market wants and absolutely pounce on it. So it's a time of adaptability. It's a time of, of it's not for wait and see, but we're also mm. not readers. So we're, I'm really struggling to ask that question, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I think no, no. I, mean, I just think it's quite interesting because, like, so, something I noticed about your range over the last couple of years is that you always pushed yourselves as doing specialist furniture for hospitality. I mean, in, in a lot of projects that we've been working on, you with, for example, they they push into you know more social spaces around retail applications. We've used a lot of your stuff in some of your education spaces as well. So it's it's just interesting to see that mind sh- mind shift i think even looking at your business model and the types of i guess clientele and areas that your product can support and how that's even adapted over the last couple of years so yeah. it's going to be really interesting to see your communication of that going forward out of this i think it was interesting what tony touched on that term resimercial which is something we've we've tossed around um, but it's that. Are you going to start patenting that? that? Or can we see you trademarking oh. that name after that? <laughs> no, it's certainly, certainly something we've heard before, but it's not something that's taken off as a, as a general knowledge turn just yet. Um, but that's the yeah. idea behind what we're doing is that we made a strategic decision and, and we love doing furniture for hospitality. But for so long, it's not just for hospitality, it's for any space where people want to come together. It's about furniture that tells a bit more of a story and has a bit more life to it and supports that coming together. And it is that flexibility, the life, the brand personality and the ability to inject all of that into the furnishings. That's why we think it's something special and it does have an application that's so much broader than just hospitality hospitality means so many more things so hospitality can mean an office cafeteria and it can mean a a communal meeting space and a breakout space and it is about people feeling welcome and coming together Mm. yeah no absolutely and i think the way we use our spaces going forward is going to be really interesting to be honest hard to look into the crystal ball at the moment but i think we're going to learn a lot about what we're going to take forward over the um, over the coming years and I think just quickly from both of you, like as we are returning to the workspace and social spaces after you know more than a month at home, is there any advice you could offer to making this transition maybe a little bit smoother? Taking forward any learnings personally from both of you, Tony? Yeah, I think, I think for me, um, what I've kind of been thinking about is I think it'll be really important to have empathy for people. Mm. We kind of don't know what everyone's stories are and what they've been through during this time. Um, Absolutely. And moving forward, you know, it's tricky. You know, some people have found it easy, some haven't, you know, and I think we're all dealing with different things, but, you know, in commas, we're all going through this together. But, yeah, I think having grace for each other will be really important. 
moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really nice notion there. Yeah, 100%. Abby? For me, I think it's about making conscious choices and not just going back into the routine that you had because you had it. So making conscious mm. choices about how you use your commute. Now, I know I'm lucky to live in Timaru and I drive 25 minutes to work every day with no traffic, but I use that commute. Mm. miss it. I miss that time in the morning to center myself. How do you, how do you structure your day? What do you want to take away? And just to make conscious choices, conscious choices about buying locally, about what hours do I want to be to work? Am I going to be purposeful and practical in what I do? what I'm doing or am I going through the motions? Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's two really nice things to, to think about there as we hopefully come out of the, the level three into level two next week and um, can be, you know, get back to some of these spaces with our colleagues, peers and, and family, which would be really nice. So just to finish on that note, I think, you know, thank you both for, for your time and your thoughts this morning. So thanks, Tony. Thanks, Abby. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to the Designers Institute podcast today. Um, keep an eye out for the next episode. We'd love for you to share on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, wherever you can tag the Designers Institute of New Zealand. If you're feeling really generous, you can give us a rating on iTunes, and it helps get the podcast out to new listeners. Until next time, kakite, keep safe, keep sane, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, everybody.